It's Monday, September the 28th. We have a live podcast with Real Local, Hardywood, and Joiner Fine Properties. We did that live at Hardywood West Creek. And sports. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Voted the second best podcast in Richmond by the readers of Richmond Magazine. One day we'll be number one. My name is Scott Wise, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, it was so good to see you live and in person at Hardywood this week. You know what? It was really nice. The weather was nice. They have some solid beer. I drank that green tea, black cherry, sun fresh stuff. Felt good the next day, which is key. So for those of you guys that did not pick up on the social media messaging that we were sending out and Roby's intro, we were invited to do a live podcast uh, this week at Hardywood West Creek with Kate and Patrick over at Hardywood. Kate Lee, who is the Vice President of Operations, and Patrick Murtaugh, who is owner, co-founder of Hardywood Park Brewery, Scott's Edition one, and the West Creek one. How's your f- fantasy football team doing these these days, Roby? Okay, so I don't know. You know I don't understand fantasy football. You know, I think it's ridiculous. How is yours doing? So my brother did say this. Speaking of fantasy football, I might have asked you. He apparently does still play fantasy football. And there was like a, what is it, a cardinal breakdown or a Washington fallover? Or what, like, what happened that there was like people were not happy? This Moving right along. <laughs> I saw on social media that you went fishing recently and you were playing tennis and fishing. What, who is this person? This is not oh. the Ruby Martin that I left before quarantine. Yeah, because kids, you can't tell from my fantasy football questions that I know all about sports. <laughs> I mean, all of them. So I went on vacation. It was a nice mental break. We went to the Tides Inn and we fished. And I've learned that I'm exceptional at fishing. I saw the pictures. I couldn't, I couldn't tell if it was like real or if you planted those fish, like someone else caught them and you just, you held them up for the camera. Yes, there were fish plants. Fish no, plants? They were not planted fish. I caught, um, I caught probably the majority of them. Can I tell you what is good about this type of fishing and why I'm such a pro? Please tell me. Well, you just have somebody bait your hook and then you wait. <laughs> Interesting that you, that, you, that you mentioned that because I have a fishing tale to tell. Oh gosh, um, so, did you actually catch the fish or is this somebody else's tail? I never made it to the water. What? Um, I never made it to the water. The no, last no, it was a fishing thing. Like, the last time, so a few years ago, my son was really getting into fishing. He was probably seven or eight at the time. And I buy him a fishing pole. I buy him and we, we're, we're going fishing. I'm sitting upstairs. The, the uh, hook in the, in the lure or in this Velcro protective sleeve so he doesn't hook himself. So I'm trying to get the hook out of the protective sleeve and the hook goes straight through my thumb. Now I am through your thumb. I mean, like I hooked myself deep, not like only a flesh wound. No, this was like a deep wound. And I am, in addition to being not very outdoorsy, I am also very queasy. (laughs) Really? Yes. Like cuts, like cuts just freak me out. Um, So I'm That's sitting, not a funny thing. Why did I laugh? So I'm sitting in my hallway upstairs. My, my children are around me. Um, I'm trying not to freak out. Did Eventually, you pass out? No, I didn't pass out. Eventually, I make, make, make my way to patient first with a 
hook in my thumb and a pole in my hand. <laughs> and they were like, you're an idiot. <laughs> we can't do anything. Before they even checked you in, they were probably like a moron, fishing they, moron. They said, we can't do anything for you. They gave me a, a pain shot and sent me to the ER. Really? They sent you away? They didn't just yank it out? No. Yes. They, no. they, sent, they sent me away. Um, so I get back in the car, <laughs> fishing hook in one thumb, pole in the other hand, go to the ER, and it takes them like two seconds, and they got it out. But I have not really gone fishing since. I've sent my son off with other people to go fishing. Because you I, had a fishing trauma. I had a fishing trauma. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can see that. You should come fishing with us. Cause I, feel better, I feel better talking about it now. Like I, I feel yeah, like I've lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, it's great. And then well, I see you. When we go fishing, you should come along because you don't have to hook anything. I'll just drink Ryan in the boat. Thanks. He's the man. I'll just drink in the boat. Guess what? Ryan hooks all the things. Like, it's perfect. I drank in the boat and caught the fish. I actually can hook the things and take the fish off. Well, Ryan likes to do it. So also, want to know my other sporty thing I'm doing? And also, it's like fishing, but not. I am playing tennis. So are you, are you learning how to play, or you know how to play, and you're actually playing? Well, I mean, I'm a closet pro, so I'm pretty much going to get this right down, and I'm going to be most amazing. I'm going to take up tennis in the latter part of my um, life. and <laughs> the, the latter part of your life? Do you have something you want to tell me? Four years left. Do you have something you want to tell me? Yeah. Jeez, this got dark very quickly. <laughs> Um, so speaking of my brother yet again, what is wrong with him? Um, the last time I saw him, he was telling me that he plays a little bit of tennis outside because it's a good sport and that I should do it because he sweats a lot. All right. As we both know, I really like sports in which you really physically get a lot of activity. So tennis was what I chose. And so I'm learning. I have a clinic. It is at the recently renamed Lakeside Park Club. It's for everybody. You don't have to be a member. Um, and it is, I'm having a real good time. So if anyone out there is a real tennis pro and wants to give Roby some tips, how do they reach you, Roby? They reach me at, at callmeroby on Instagram or roby.martin at Gmail or at Edith Virginia or edithvirginia at gmail.com. Are you ready to go to Hardywood? We got to go to Hardywood. Otherwise, we would talk about this all day. Well, today it's Drink It, Virginia, right? It's my favorite iteration of our podcast. I know it is. So, hi, I'm Roby. I am one half of Eat It, Virginia, and then this is Scott. My first time out since March, I think, as the hair indicates. I like it. It's very... Very... Floppy. Yes, it's very floppy and very, uh, you know, quarantine-y. It's my quarantine haircut. It's good. Thank you. It's good. You're looking young. Anyway, we have two great guests with us today. They are... I don't know, the backbone of Hardywood. I'm looking at Kate Lee, who is the vice president of operations. Yes, yes. So pretty much you run One everything. heartbeat away <laughs> from the president of operations. Who is the president of operations? You actually as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool. And then we have Patrick Murtaugh, who Hello. is the brewer, yeah. owner and co-founder of Hardywood. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, Roby and Scott. Hi, this is very weird. Usually we do these podcasts very close to our guests. We have to like get in either into their restaurants or right across the table from them. Since March, we've been doing the podcast over Zoom. So this is our first kind of distanced podcast with guests. I know, it's very weird, like, it, like this. It, I don't know if I should look over there or if I should... <laughs> well, we have such great guests. I feel like we should stare at them. It's an audio podcast, so you can look wherever you want. It doesn't really matter. So let's just get right into it. We'll start with you, Patrick. How did you get here? 
Not by 64 West. I told you you couldn't say that. Oh, well, then I don't have an answer. Dad jokes. Uh, no, ha. How did I get here? How did Hardywood start, I assume? How, what was the impetus of where There was we a sheep now? farm. There was a sheep farm in Australia, once upon a time. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, it kind of goes back to uh, right after I graduated college in 2001. Um, uh, yeah, so the sheep uh, farm reference uh, Roby's uh, referring to was um, back, uh, yeah, I guess uh, my business partner, Eric McKay, was studying abroad in Australia, and part of his orientation program was uh, spending time in the sheep farm. They kind of put him to work doing uh, horrible things to sheep. Now, birthing sheep was one of the things. It just sounds horrible to me. But, um, you say burning? Really, uh, birthing. Well, no, birthing. Birthing. Gotcha, sorry. <laughs> totally, like, that totally is horrible thing. <laughs> and uh, so I had just graduated school and was backpacking around with a friend of mine, and he was back out visiting this family at this sheep farm, and the sheep farm happened to be called Hardywood Park. And uh, so he invited the friend, uh, the friend of mine and I, who I was traveling with, out to spend some time at the farm. And uh, they put us to work also on the farm. I remember the day I was out there, we were um, delousing sheep, which involved throwing these sheep onto a conveyor belt where they went up about five feet and then were dunked into a pool of delousing solution. Um, I remember having the worst allergies of my life. And uh, being a native uh, New Yorker, city New Yorker um, this was extremely foreign to me but at the end of the day we'd finish with a glass of the farmers homebrewed beer and uh, that was kind of that epiphany moment for us that wow beer can be so much more than just a a cheap light lager and uh, I don't know if it was the the setting or what but uh, it kind of inspired us to to want to start brewing ourselves and so we got back to the states eventually we uh, got a homebrewing kit and started brewing and Eric and I had grown up together, and we had talked about uh, starting a business probably since we were 16. Uh, didn't really know what that would be until we started homebrewing, and then said, well, maybe we should, maybe we should start a brewery, and uh, that was probably 2002, and neither of us had really much experience in the brewing industry. Eric, I think, had interned at a, a brewery in college, but... Um, so we both got jobs working for a, a beer wholesaler in New York City and kept home brewing and started writing a business plan. We must have wrote a thousand times. And uh, eventually Eric went uh, back to business school. I went to brewing school, um, which happened to be the same brewing school my great-grandfather went to and my great-uncle went to. Your great-grandfather was a brewer? Yeah. My, actually, my great-great-grandfather was a brewer. Great, I came great here great from father. 1890 uh, from Germany and uh, was the brewmaster of a pretty big brewery in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, then his son, my great-grandfather, was also a brewer. He's the one who studied at the brewing school I went to. So and it's not totally son, random that you now own a brewery. There it, is a, there's it, it, a honestly, con- it's, it's more coincidental, actually. I, after I started home brewing, I found this obituary in my parents' attic, and it was my great-great-grandfather, uh, yeah, my mother's great-grandfather, and it had his whole, um, you know, biography in there, in that obituary. And uh, that definitely kind of spurred my interest a little bit. But I had already started, just gotten into homebrewing. But before that, I really had no... My mother might have mentioned at some point we had some brewing relatives in the family, but that's about all I knew. And I didn't really have a whole lot of interest until I started homebrewing. So it was never really something I inquired a whole lot about. And then, uh, so that was really interesting to me. And then it was probably, was it seven years, seven or eight years later 
that uh, I enrolled in this brewing program at the Siebel Institute, which is, I think, the oldest brewing uh, school in the country, that uh, I was there for about two weeks. Um, and uh, I went out to dinner with my aunt one night, and uh, she was like, you know, asked me how brewing school was going, and, and said, oh, you know, my, uh, my grandfather went there, your great-grandfather. I'm like, <laughs> no, I had no idea. <laughs> And uh, she's like, yeah, my, my uncle went there, too. Your great uncle. And I'm like, I didn't know that. And, uh, and then I, I went into class the next day. And sure enough, about two feet from where I've been sitting the first two weeks was this composite picture of the class from 1908 with all the students complete with their ascots and big beards and um, Mr. Siebel in the middle. And, uh, and there was my, my great grandfather. Um, uh, what was his name? Henry Kuhn. And, uh, and then his... Uh, his son was a little further down the wall, Albert Kuhn. Um, I mean, this is meant to German, be. I mean, obviously, you, you're, I mean, you've already thought about this and you already talked about it, I'm sure. But I mean, it's, yeah, pretty, yeah, it's incredible I've, and I've amazing. It a few times, but it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting story and it's 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 unbelievable. I mean, you, I wouldn't believe it if I heard it, but I, I literally had no idea one that I had brewers further than my great great grandfather in the family, and and two that they went to the brewing school I just enrolled in. So that's how you got into this too, Kate. Like, right? You have an ancestor. <laughs> I was not on a sheep farm, and I do not have any ancestors in this business at all. Is this is this my go? It's now your turn. All right. So my story is very different than Patrick's. Um, there is no sheep farm in my story. Uh, but uh, I went to North Carolina State University and received my degree in food science. And oh, do I have it? Wolfpack. Okay. All right. All my right. dad went there. Okay. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, so I had initially um, looked to get my food science degree as I was interested in nutrition um, and really kind of trying to focus on health exercise and that type of thing. And I took my very first food chemistry class and we learned all about making wine and making beer. And that's when everything just kind of clicked for me that this is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I, I interestingly started my food science major without knowing what I wanted to do completely, but I found it while I was there. So um, graduated knowing that I wanted actually to get into beer um, making and uh, ended up taking the very first job that I was offered, which was not in the beer business. Um, it was down in Atlanta, Georgia for a company called Eastern Foods, and I did uh, research and development uh, for a salad dressing company, we did naturally fresh salad dressings. So you guys may have seen them in like the refrigerated section, very similar to like Marzetti's. Um, so I did recipe development for them. Same company that owned Eastern Foods also owned Hooters. Um, so I did menu development for Hooters as well. And uh, there's and food at Hooters. At, there is food at Hooters. And there's amazing wing sauce at Hooters. And if you've had their 911 wing sauce, I am actually responsible for helping in that recipe development. So anyway, long time ago. (laughs) Um, The beer's coming. The the beer is coming. So that was wing sauce is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was actually so we would have what I what I'd call wing emergencies when they would call the local like Hooters chains in Atlanta would call and I would have to go in the company car with my lab coat on to the Hooters, go into the kitchen and the emergency was that the wing sauces were separating, like the, the butter from the hot sauce. Can I, can I just interrupt and for a second? What did the company car look like? <laughs> it was a Cadillac. It was a Cadillac. It was a Cadillac. With was an it owl orange? on it? <laughs> What'd you say? With an owl on it? No owl. Just oh, Was it orange and white? Nope. Nope. Just a white Cadillac. But I always had to drive the Cadillac and I always had to keep my lab coat on. 
Seriously? In a Hooters. For a awesome. wing emergency. <laughs> That's why it's called 911 sauce. So um, after that, I actually um, got uh, an opportunity to work at Anheuser-Busch. And I joined them about two and a half years after I graduated from college. I'm going to go ahead and age myself. I think it was about 2002 that I uh, joined Anheuser-Busch. And I started with them in their quality assurance department um, as a quality group manager, just a supervisor over both the brewing and packaging areas and worked my way up with them. Um, I worked at four of their domestic locations. I started in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, moved out to Columbus, uh, Ohio, Merrimack, New Hampshire, and then down to Williamsburg, Virginia, where I was their assistant brewmaster at the brewery there. Um, In 2013, I think it was, um, I was at an event with my father at, um, it was a startup, I can't even remember what the group was. It was like a small business startup group. Oh, God. I can't remember I what it was. Remember. But it was, it was being hosted by Hardywood, and that's where I met Eric and Patrick. And, um, you know, we kind of joked about, you know, I introduced myself, and we joked about me working for them, and we both kind of laughed and parted our separate ways. Um, and they got back in touch with me and, and it took probably a year for both of us to be able to commit, but I joined the team, um, in 2014 in January and, um, coming up soon on seven years with these guys. And, uh, right now I started at their, I started as the um, director of quality assurance, started the quality assurance program here. And uh, now I am vice president, vice, vice. <laughs> vice president of operations and quality. So that's my story. No sheep, no ancestors. <laughs> Just a vice president. Patrick, you mentioned that when you guys started, there was only one other craft brewery in town. Now there's quite a few more. There are, yes. There are. What sets Hardywood apart from the, from the pack? Uh, God, I think, I mean, I think one of the great things about the brewing scene in Richmond is that every brewery is, is a little bit different. Um, there are some that are more similar to others, but they all have their own personality and they all have their own kind of specialties, things they, they do best. Um, so what, what is the Hardywood up? personality then? I don't, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for what other breweries do. I'm not, I'm not extremely up on exactly what every other brewery is doing. So I, I can't tell you everything we do is unique ex- only to us, but I know, you know, and, and this isn't just because we're kind of here focused on local ingredients, but that really was a big part of our, our, you know, I'd be lying to say if that was in our business plan, but once we started, um, we quickly really committed ourselves to, to putting a f- big focus uh, on on sourcing local, um, we created a whole series of beers uh, around uh, using at least one locally sourced ingredient, locally grown, or um, we've used locally roasted coffee, but um, everything from raspberries and blackberries to pumpkins and ginger and honey and uh, malt and, and hops, all grown in Virginia by small family farms. Um, and the reason we do that is, I mean, there are a ton of reasons, um, but, um, I, I guess to, to name a few, one is that it, it really being able to talk to the people that are actually growing your ingredients just inspires, um, creativeness and inventiveness and, and, uh, fun, <laughs> um, but it also allows us to get to know where our ingredients are coming from. Uh, local doesn't mean better, but it allows us to know 
um, that we're using the best possible ingredients when you're ordering them from a big distributor far away from a far away mega conglomerate farm. You don't know what kind of practices they use to grow your ingredients. Um, so, um, and, and also just we're putting money back into the local economy. So I think those are the three best reasons I can give for, for sourcing local. Sure. You guys visit the farms that you use the ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've we've done trips where we brought the whole team out to uh, pick blackberries at Agriberry and Castlemont, uh, Castlemont mm-hmm. farms where they grow our ginger. Um, so yeah, that's the fun of it going out there and actually, and for a lot of the brewers, they kind of, a lot of times just have their head down making the best beer they possibly can to go and actually see these ingredients being grown is I think uh, really impactful and again inspires creativity so there's like an urban legend that you guys use like almost all of the ginger that castlemont <laughs> produces is and that, then some is that the case <laughs> i think they probably save a little bit for the farmers markets but uh but we use probably the good majority of it I and where say. does that ginger go <laughs> goes into this little beer called gingerbread stout i'm not sure if you've heard of it um but we are actually packaging it right now so let's talk about that. It's on the premises? <laughs> like, like that beer is like a big beer for you guys because it essentially, I mean, when it came out as the 100 point or the top rated, how, how did that change your trajectory as Hardywood when Gingerbread Stout goes boom, essentially? Um, uh, you know, it, it definitely helps. It's hard to say exactly how that changed our trajectory, but it, it definitely helps kind of get our name out there a little bit. I mean, it was the the first year we were in business. I think it was that November that we brewed it and uh, brewed a really small batch of it that first year and uh, sent some off to be reviewed by Beer Advocate magazine. And, and yeah, we got a perfect 100 score. It had only been given out a few times before, which was huge for us, especially just starting out. And then we went to San Diego to, to the um, Great American Beer Festival and, uh, and ended up winning a, a bronze award for that. And when you're sitting there in this hall of all your, you know, hero brewers that, you know, you kind of got to know as, as these, you know. Icons. As icons, yeah, in the industry. Um, and then having our new company name being called out as, as a winner of, of an award was... Uh, was really awesome. So, um, yeah, we've won a few awards since then, but uh, but that first one was was by far the coolest. Um, uh, so yeah, it's hard to say, but it's definitely gotten us some some. Uh, it's probably been the one to get us the most recognition beyond Virginia, beyond beyond our our local. Kind of back to your original question you know, what are we known for or what sets us apart? Um, obviously, gingerbread stout is something that we're known for, but it has also um, created kind of this um, this idea that we're really great at brewing stouts. And quite honestly, you know, as much as we've tried to at one point get away from being a stout brewery, um, we're, we're good at it, you know? And so um, I think that we've embraced that recently, but that's something that, you know, we have a few little niches. One of them is definitely local ingredients, but I also think, um, you know, our brewers and and Brian Nelson, our, our head brewer, is incredible at putting together stouts, and um, they're pretty much impeccable every time. So that's that's one thing that Gingerbread Stout did for us. You mentioned that visiting the local farms sparked the creativity. Do you have a specific example of a, a trip you guys might have gone on or a, a beer that has 
was born out of a session like that? Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, Agraberry is one of the, the farms we work, well, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't even say that. I mean, Castlemont we've become really close with, too. I mean, all of them we've, I remember sitting down doing a, a coffee pour-over with uh, Lamplighter Coffee, and, and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. We just got to riffing on, on what, you know, and I liked coffee, but never really, had never really knew that much about <coughs> The intricacies of coffee, and um, uh, that you know was definitely got the creative juices flowing. But I would say the first, the first and biggest one was probably um, Bill Cox knocking on our door uh, with like three big stalks of ginger. Um, our like second or first month in business, and uh, not knowing what this guy knocking on our door was carrying in his hand. But we uh, we brought him in, and uh, he he had said uh, he had heard we used some local ginger, which we actually got a bunch of it from Elwoods, and uh, that um, you know it was grown locally. And he was like, "I I grow ginger. It's this baby Hawaiian um, ginger that I think you would love." And so he said, "All right, we'll give it a try." And um, you know, I. I like ginger, but I, I wouldn't call myself a ginger fan. But uh, <laughs> so I knew nothing about ginger. But I, I, you know, we said we'd love to try it, and so we sliced them up, and we had tried this ginger, and, and sure enough, it was it was still the best ginger I'd ever had, and uh, it was just this really subtle, interesting kind of flavor, and um, so uh, um, we didn't really know what we would do with it, but we said, you yeah, know, we'll definitely use it at some point. I mean, it's really good and um then uh eric uh, met cy bearer from bearer farms um he was a beekeeper that that um he pretty you know sold honey and uh it was eric who said you know what if we put those two together and made a gingerbread stout and uh that's kind of what inspired uh gingerbread stout so for people that aren't super intimately familiar with the brewing process when do these ingredients go in to making the beer sure so we've actually experimented adding them during different times um there's kind of what we call the hot side and the cold side in the brewing process so the hot side is going to be our brew house Um, that's where we're actually mixing together the milled grain the malted barley and the water together basically to make something that looks like an oatmeal consistency or what we call the mash Um, You can add some ingredients at this time, but for gingerbread stout particularly, we actually add everything into the secondary fermentation process. So we allow that, that sweet water that we make, which is called wort, in the brew house. We push it forward into the fermenting cellars. We pitch some yeast into it so those yeast can eat those sugars. After the yeast is all done eating the sugars, that is when we introduce a lot of what we call adjuncts, these secondary ingredients into the process. So the honey, the spices, the ginger, um, real whole vanilla beans. Uh, We may have a number for the amount of vanilla beans that our brewers have to process. It's insane. Um, But we have- What is the number? What is the number, Patrick? Uh, well, I actually just looked it up because I thought that question would come up. Thanks for asking, Kate. I feel like she just, she just lobbed it up there, so I now need to ask. It's uh, 4,400 individual coffee beans, or I'm sorry, vanilla beans on average. 4,400 uh, individual? Per, per, per 360 barrel batch. Wow. So, 360 barrels is our biggest fermenter. And, and one would say, why don't you use, you know, ground vanilla beans or, you know, why don't you use vanilla flavor or extract or anything? Um, 
obviously we're uh, very very committed to using uh, real ingredients in our Virginia Root series, which is the series that Patrick was um, talking about before, the one that we use local ingredients. And we have honestly tested ground vanilla beans and whole vanilla beans and vanilla extract, and we've tested the difference, and the, nothing compares to the flavor that the actual whole freshly processed vanilla bean will give you. So we take the hard way on that one. (laughs) So speaking of taking the hard way, because it's getting ready to be October and there's obviously going to be like gobs of pumpkin beer. You guys use roasted whole pumpkins, right? Yeah, we're not roasting them anymore, but, uh, but yeah, we're using whole pumpkins. Um, Those actually, so the pumpkins are actually introduced into the hot side. Um, So that's a bit different of a process. Um, We don't, Put those on the cold side and fermenting we actually use the pumpkin they're pureed um, pumpkins in the hot side so it's introduced at a different time during um, gingerbread take uh, raspberry stout for example which is another beer in that series and those raspberries are added in the cold side and it's a secondary fermentation what that does is the raspberries will carry some sugars Um, so it actually sets the beer back into a secondary fermentation. So those yeasts have kind of finished eating all the sugars that are available in the, um, wort in the grain. And once they're done, we put in the raspberries, whole bunch more food comes available. The yeast starts to act back up. They start to eat again. Um, adding them into secondary really creates a very intense flavor, Um, as opposed to if we were going to add it into the hot side. It's kind of, I mean, think about a fresh raspberry versus a cooked raspberry. It's it's a very different flavor profile. She should have worn that lab coat to this podcast. (laughs) No kidding. I don't have one for Hardywood, but I should, right? Maybe. Get on it, man. Come on. White lab coat. Big raspberry. (laughs) So um, we've been talking, obviously, a lot about your successes uh, over the last decade plus, or nine years, we said, right? Favorite thing to talk about. Nine years. Obviously, earlier this year, the world changed, and curious how it's changed for Hardywood, um, both on the processing side and on the consumer side. Um, well, I'll talk about the consumer side, and Kate can talk about the um, production side, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been tough. I mean, you know, restaurants all of a sudden were shutting down overnight, and uh, all our draft business sort of stopped. Um, we shut our tap room down for a couple days while we figured out what we were going to do. Uh, once, you know, it became clear that it just wasn't safe to operate as normal. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And so, um, I guess the changes we made, um, we closed our, our indoor tap room. We eventually opened our patio. Um, so, uh, you know, our, our tap room has become a pretty big part of our business, at least for now while we grow our wholesale business wholesale is all based on on volume and you know you can become a sustainable wholesale business standalone business but it, it takes uh it takes quite a bit of volume to do that um so our tap room is very important to us and and then we had uh you know capital one which had you know nine thousand or so employees i don't know half mile down the road that a bunch of them would come here after work and have a beer and they would rent our private event space and they're all working from home now, so so that business went away. So our, our tap room business, <laughs> not to tell a sob story, but our our, <laughs> our tap room business is, has su- definitely suffered a little bit, and, and restaurant business, while it's you know op- it picked up a little bit, isn't nearly what it was last year. Um, grocery business is um, is is good. Um, that uh, was better than it was last year, so we're growing there, which is good. 
not enough to make up, unfortunately, for the, the lost restaurant business. But, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, we've, we've been able to find some new avenues of, of um, income. One, we started delivering beer. Uh, we started shipping beer. And we started doing curbside pickup so people can reserve, say, a case of Richmond Lager and come and, uh, and you know, basically have it dropped in their trunk and drive away. Um, so trying to do things as safe as we can. Um, we've uh, um, drew uh, spray paint, uh, s- spray painted circles in our lawn, <laughs> <laughs> social separation circles. Um, so we're out here now, obviously at your West Creek location. And I mean, the crowd is decent, right? I mean, it's a decent crowd. I yeah. Mean, the patio seems yeah, to walk through there earlier tonight. It's great. And honestly, some Saturdays are, have been as good as they were last year. Um, unfortunately, it's, the, it's like the Tuesday through Friday groups that, that aren't what they were last year. It's the events that have stopped that, um, you know, hurt us a little bit. We don't do any bigger events. Last Saturday would have been our Bluegrass Festival, which was, you know, a big event for us. And that we didn't do that. So, yeah, there are definitely uh, on nice weather days uh, we've been able to bring some people in we've limited our our occupancy even on the patio by shutting down our our overflow parking and just kind of limiting to the parking we have on site um we've been using the the markell owned property across the street for overflow parking last year um so uh you know managing that is isn't always easy managing you know trying to get people to wear masks that don't want to wear masks and uh when they go inside um can be a challenge um so there, there are definitely some some challenges, and our, our front of house staff, you know, hats off to them. They've they've done a, a really great job at, at managing that, and it's it's all it's all new to them. There are a lot of new rules that people aren't used to following, and, and our our team isn't used to enforcing. So, um, so we've been we've been managing um, the best we can. Uh, we were able to get a, the PPP loan um, and the IDL, which um, will hopefully get us through um, until, you know, we can uh, find some sort of treatment or vaccine. And, um, yeah, it's the best we can hope for. Do you want me to go into production? Please do. Okay, yeah, so from a production standpoint, um, things certainly went topsy-turvy there for quite a while. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me why we didn't always ship beer and why we didn't always do curbside pickup. And a lot of the the state laws didn't allow us to be able to do those types of things. So that was something that was changed as a result from COVID. And that is why you have seen so many breweries now able to do these things. Something that it has taught us, taught us is innovation. Um, We had to get real creative with ways to bring in revenue. Um, like Patrick said, our draft sales completely stopped. So we were no longer filling kegs. People weren't drinking beer on premise anymore. So there really wasn't any kind of demand for it. The other thing is, is we had to become way more creative on the type of beers we were um, brewing simply because we had to keep people interested from week to week and coming. Um, of course, people love Richmond Lager over and over again and single and pills, but Um, We were finding that people were really seeking innovation and creativity during quarantine. And so we responded to that and we really started brewing a lot of what we call one-off beers. Um, Really just trying to keep 
people interested in coming back week to week, give them something new to look forward to. Um, from that, we spawned uh, virtual tastings where we actually, every, every week, Friday and Saturday, we offer tickets to a virtual tasting. And so for that virtual tasting, we would offer three beers and some sort of local food pairing with a company like your guys. Um, and we'd, we'd offer that for delivery or pickup. And we send them a Zoom link. And Patrick, Eric, Brian, myself, sometimes our brewers are involved. We go through, what, like an hour and a half um, yeah. session. We taste beers together. We eat food together. We make terrible jokes together. Um, and we've since kind of gained a, a following from that, which has been really awesome. Um, we've made I a did, lot of new friends I from it. One. I mean, you I did. It. You it did. It was so fun. You guys were all there. And then some wild guy in the background. They're, they get a little wild, especially Ryan? after the third 100% beer. Ryan. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's still the wild guy in the background. He's right there. <laughs> It's really just um, spawned a lot of innovation and creativity in the back, which, of course, is um, creating a a lot of logistical challenges for us. Um, Now that business is picking up, especially at grocery and off-premise, we're having to keep up with all the regular year-round beers that we do, but we're still, you know, 100% committed to this creativity, innovation, and these fun one-off brands. So um, it's been a challenge. For sure. You guys have some cool new releases. Um, you had one at Sheets, which is a watermelon uh, yes. wheat beer yeah. that you yes. guys can now get at Sheets, yeah. which is very cool. And then you had one at Trader Joe's, which we do. it's a speculus. Is cookie that how you butter. Say that? Cookie butter. Speculoos. Speculoos. It's, it's a their, cookie so butter. So their, their famous cookie butter. They asked us to. Uh, it's one of their big, most popular um, products that they sell, and uh, they asked us to brew a beer that would either. Tastes like it or pay homage to it. Does but, it taste uh, like it? I, I think it does. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we'll be getting some of that, Scott. You have you tasted the cookie butter before? Uh, I, I think that we have some. I think we have biscotti butter or something. Okay. That huh. I have a. Anyway, not the point. The point is not that one, and I absolutely <laughs> yeah. will because that sounds Eating really fun. Eating the knockoff brand. <laughs> it does taste like it. So we put some questions out. Well, we actually were like, what would you like to know about Hardywood on our social media? And we got... We got some a questions. Yeah. Think, are we going to open up the floor for questions We're later? We're definitely going to. So get. think about questions you guys might want to ask while we go through these, and then we'll, we'll, we'll knock that out. All right. These are two. No one in particular. Well, you two in particular, but between the two of you, no one in particular. <laughs> Question number one. What style of beer do you always order when trying a new brewery's product? Hmm. Mine's easy. IPA. And why is that? Because I like IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about you. Okay, got it. No, Super no, um, You know, IPAs is my favorite style of beer. Um, I, I love IPAs because there are s- such a wide range of what falls under an IPA. You can have a highly bittered IPA. You can have a really fruity IPA without even adding fruits into it. There's so many options for hops and they all create such a unique flavor characteristic in the beer. Um, and no, it's just no two IPAs taste the same. So I love always tasting them and understanding how the brewer, you know, translates the, the profile of the hops into the beer. So mine's IPA. So that's a really good segue to the next question because I feel like IPAs really kind of had their heyday in the last year or so. They're like, that was like the beer, you know, hazy New England and all this crazy stuff. So what style do you predict will be the next variation Ooh. that people are going to get? I don't know. Hot like tip coming. Hot tip. Line up your, for. <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. I, <laughs> you I, have the answer. Let us know. <laughs> 
crystal I, ball. Yeah. I really don't know. I, I definitely wouldn't have predicted New England IPA. I mean, that wasn't really a thing until those New England breweries started doing these really juicy. Is it even still hoppy, a thing yet lesbitter. from a beer style standpoint? It or, is. Like, did they create it? It is, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they actually have a category in most competitions now. But uh, yeah, I, God, I, I really have no idea what that next. Uh, Sorry, that's a terrible answer. Lob something uh, out there. You know, I mean, I think things are certainly (laughs) trending, or they were for a minute there, towards lighter beers. So lagers kind of jumped back in the picture, um, and those became really popular. So now people are playing around with different types of lagers. Seltzers are obviously super popular right now. Um, The whole better for you category is, uh, you know, I don't think it's the next thing. I think it's already started, but... um, yeah, people are people are steering towards things with lower calories, lighter alcohol, all that. So, so yeah, better for you is, is definitely a category that's starting to, to gain some steam. You guys did such a good job uh, predicting the next beer that's going to happen. Yeah. Let's talk about the next. Let's talk about the future of craft breweries in Richmond. I feel like every time either a new one opens, it's like how many more breweries can Richmond can Richmond uh, sustain? And every time one closes, it's like the bubble has burst. So. Let's look into our crystal balls. COVID, I know we have to deal with COVID, so that could change everything, clearly. But what do you guys see for the next five years in terms of the brewery scene? Uh, You know, my answer right now is people are still um, really craving innovation and they they really crave something new. And so they're always looking for the new best thing. So I think you'll continue to see breweries open. there is only so much room for, you know, so many breweries, but I, 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 we keep thinking there's going to be a bubble burst, but I don't, I don't know that we've seen it. And at this point in time, you know, there's still so many brewers around our city that are making such great beer. I mean, even the, the newcomers, um, they're all doing a really great job. We have, we're lucky that we have so many great resources for especially new breweries now that didn't exist, you know, seven, ten years ago. And so it, it makes it a lot, you know, more achievable to be able to open a brewery and make great beer. So um, I don't, that's a terrible answer as well. But uh, no, I don't I, know. I, Innovation is still a thing. So people are just looking for something new. I agree. I think there's there's definitely, uh, I don't know if there's room or not room for more breweries, but I think there definitely will be more to open. I think there's still people with, uh, you know, the dream of opening a brewery who'll, who'll see that dream through and some will be successful and some won't. Um, I think, you know, the bigger limitation is is uh, wholesale. You know, there's only so much room on, on a draft lineup at a, at a restaurant or, or the shelf at a, a grocery store, a, 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 a store. <laughs> any um, store any store any with store. shelves that sell beer so this it, last question I can't even ask you because uh-oh. I don't want to know what your favorite mass market domestic beer is because <laughs> no, this is not a mass market but I'm going to go to you guys to see if you have any questions for both Kate and Patrick they're an open book today so nothing's off limits every day <laughs> <laughs> question no. Can you guys just re- repeat the question so, so, the so the way this is going to go, because we're on a podcast and people are listening, every time you guys ask a question, we're going to repeat it. So I apologize. So, Scott, go ahead. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Uh, uh, do you was, want me to repeat please, the question? Go ahead. Or you, okay. No, please go ahead. Well, <laughs> the question was, uh, how are international sales going compared to local domestic sales? Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean... 
we're, I think there was a time 10 years ago when a, maybe even more 15 years ago when a brewery starting out could have dreams of becoming a nationally sold um, brand and, and beyond that an internationally sold brand. Um, I think now there are so many breweries in the country that it's much harder to do that. I think there are so many breweries locally that people people have options to drink a local beer and they go to a new city and why not try what's local? Um, so international is even going beyond that. To um, So, you know, is international sales a route to further your business uh in this market maybe probably not though um is it another source of revenue sure um is it kind of a fun way to expand your presence a little bit uh, um yeah absolutely um uh yeah i i mean it's it's a very small part of our sales i guess the short answer to your, <laughs> to your question and uh that really kind of started with um uh I guess you know, Virginia is, has been really good about trying to expand uh, exports, and um, so we've been participating in, in various programs that they have. Um, I think that's what really got us started into sending into um, into other into into other countries. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. So yeah. I think it's been about four, five, four or five years since we started exporting. Um, when we first started, we, we jumped in hard. I mean, we, we went to a lot of different places and um, we were quickly able to weed out what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. And, and, and we kind of took a little break for a minute. But right now, um, we have a very successful export program in Korea, uh, Japan, and France. Um, we actually just started... Uh, back exporting to and it you know a lot of it really relies on an extremely successful relationship between the distributor there um and the brewery and we've been able to really develop a great relationship with those three places as well as the support from the state so th that is where we're focused right now um you know pat was saying that you know as far as it being a big part of our our sales it's it's not but the the coolest thing is seeing something on facebook about somebody in some bar in you know korea and they take a picture of our tap handle and they're like look what i found i'm from richmond and i'm traveling for work and they they take a picture of it it's it's really neat to be able to see that um and 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 it's it's also interesting you know the markets are different internationally and what's popular here isn't necessarily what's popular there. And um, it, it's, it's neat to see what is, you know, in demand in those locations as opposed to what's in demand here. Any other questions? Yes. Are there any particular local products that you'd like to see more producers growing for you? Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, God, we're willing to try anything that sounds good in a beer. <laughs> um, but in particular, I mean, the, the, the hop industry, I, I think, you know, there's been some hop growers that have, have started some, some farms. I think it's, it's hard. That's a hard business. I think unless you're doing it on a, a large scale, there's a lot of equipment involved. So it's a, it's a big investment. So, you know, I'm not really holding my breath for that though. You know, we'd welcome, you know, and, and support any, hop farm that that wanted to start but um uh yeah i can't think of anything in particular but again we're you know we've used apples and peaches and raspberries and blackberries and ginger and honey so you know 
bring it on if you have something that you think would be good in a beer. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we when we get into large scale production, although we do continue to use local ingredients because that is something we are committed to, it certainly gets a little bit more challenging. We need to make sure that the product is aseptic and sanitary and isn't going to introduce any type of wild yeast or wild bacteria into our beer that could create any off flavors. So it it you know, those types of things we're really looking at just doing um, some of these unique things that may be kind of neat, something different than we typically use um, in these small one-off batches because we can process those ourselves. We can, you know, s- sterilize them with heat on our own. Um, but, you know, one thing that it, it kind of goes back to a question you guys asked, um, turmeric, right? So one of our local farmers had us taste turmeric and I, I can't get away from thinking like, is that, or turmeric, 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 turmeric. Potato, potato. (laughs) (laughs) Turmeric. Turmeric. But to me, it's such a unique ingredient. Nobody uses it in the beer, in their beers. It's, you know, I don't know if you could make something out of it, but you know, that would be something neat. Um, I agree completely. I would love to do something with that beer. Maybe a Saison or something. (laughs) Turmeric, turmeric, (laughs) turmeric. I had one, I had one final question. Uh, the, the restaurant that you guys announced with Joe, um, where are we with that and how the is COVID? Restaurant. How is COVID? Um, well, yeah, so uh, we had, uh, so the question is, no, I'm just kidding. I know I don't have to repeat that question. So, <laughs> so it's a funny uh, one. yeah, we had, um, uh, we had like uh, a big restaurant crush on uh, Joe Sperato at, at Heritage. And uh, so uh, we started talking and we're like, God, if we were to, team up with someone uh we would you know love to team up with you and he was like i was thinking the same thing and so it was kind of a match made in heaven and uh we uh, started talking about this restaurant concept and uh really developed it quite a bit to the point where we were about to break ground on this restaurant when uh covid hit and uh at that point when we had to well it started with capital one you know working from home and then all of a sudden our, our business was cut pretty drastically right there and then we had to close our tap room one day, and uh, we just said we, we have to put the restaurant on hold. It was a big capital investment, and uh, one we didn't know, you know, we need to be obviously conservative with our, our cash, and, and two, we didn't know if we'd be able to have people here to um, buy food. So uh, so we, we, we put that on hold. Um, so it's not dead, just on hold. It is not dead. It's, it's, it's on hold. Um, but Richmond. we are building out. Uh, so we're renovating Richmond. So we, um, as I mentioned, we leased a, a building in the city of Richmond, and we, we bought the building next door. We ended up selling the building we bought um, about a year ago to, well, less than a year ago, to um, a development company that is building... Uh, um, residential um, uh, residential development uh, apartments. I think that's what they yeah, call yeah apartments and townhomes. Condos. Yeah, condos. Yeah, yeah, condos. Well, residential. Was, I think things. it was initially supposed to be like a mixed where use people live. development. But yeah, people live and they sleep in these rooms. Um, so uh, they ended up buying our building, and as part of that, we're leasing it back. We have lease extensions going out 17 years, and uh, there was a, a tenant improvement package that that was involved with that. And part of that will be, uh, well, it'll be bringing the the brewing equipment over to the one building. They're going to tear down our original building, bring the brewing equipment to the other building, completely renovate it, 
and uh, we're renovating the tap or the yeah the tap room, but also the uh, the patio space. And we're building out a pizza kitchen, which uh, Joe Sparata is gonna is gonna head up and be our, our concept chef there. It's like your dreams are coming true, Scott. <laughs> it's moving along really quick. Oh, breaking so news. Hopefully, we we don't know exactly when that'll when that'll open, but um, but hopefully soon. You're listening to Eat It Virginia with Roby and Scott. We had Kate Lee and Patrick Murta of Hardywood live at Real Local. Thank you, Joiner Fun Properties. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> that Hardywood podcast was so fun, Roby. It was, I was, it was so good to see you out there live in front of a live audience. It was good weather. It was good beer. That Kate Lee is on it she's a dynamo she really is a dynamo you know you know what we found out after the fact that so she grew up in syracuse which is obviously where i went to college and one of my uh cousins is from syracuse and they were best friends growing up so now you have reason to get more beer (laughs) i don't need it i don't need another reason but i have a reason to visit one of my favorite restaurants more often Ooh, what is that reason our good friend beth dixon has a new job. Oh, tell me more. Rumor has it, and by rumor I mean she announced it, that she is going to be running the bar over at La Possum up in Oregon Hill, one of Richmond's finest restaurants. better than Beth Dixon at La Possum with David Shannon and delicious cocktails and delicious food? Maybe that's what we're having for dinner tonight. There must be something about Beth. We know there's something about Beth. She's a former guest of ours. You can go back and listen to her podcast where she was the star of the podcast, but she's been at some of the best restaurants in town running their bars, so. That's because Beth is the best. Beth is the Have you been to any uh, other openings or heard of any other uh, movements that we should inform the listeners about? So Expectation opened in Stony Point, and you could probably wait to go there. Um, Lucky AF will open will have opened this past weekend when people are listening to this. It's in Scott's edition, the new sushi place by uh, yep. Eat Partners. By Eat Restaurant Partners. Um, Blue Atlas is opening. Um, it will open. It will have opened on Friday the 25th when people are listening to that. That is, speaking of, where Lucky AF is in the old Alloy building. The chef from Alloy is the new chef at Blue Atlas. And so that is cool. It's in Fulton in the old schoolhouse. It's beautiful. Um, and Pizza is opening at Will Lawn, which is a new, which is not a new chain for the United States, but it's new for Richmond. New. I've actually been to one of those in Arlington before. It yeah, it was it was good. I mean, I like all pizza pretty much. I'm equal opportunity pizza eater. Roby, I'm getting psyched because we've scheduled Jim Hamilton to be a guest on a future podcast. That's the Roadie, uh, chef for the band Fish, who's now making and delivering oh, burritos, frozen burritos. Yes. Yeah, frozen burritos in Richmond. So that's coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Roby, it was so good to see you in person and over Zoom. Have a beautiful week. Bye. This episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> no! Oh, God, no.